Hello everyone, uh, welcome back to the Hudson Valley Historian. Uh, today, if you want to introduce yourself. Oh, I'm sorry, it, yeah, it's Bob, Bob Davis of Winnicky Land Trust, uh, Executive Director of the Winnicky Land Trust, and uh, retired forester. Awesome. And so I just had a couple of questions you, uh, for you today, Bob. Um, so kind of first was, well, for one, kind of what got you into like being interested in the history of the Hudson Valley and all of that? Oh, and this well, land history. Well, in order history. to, uh, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. Um, it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of necessary to do what we do at the land trust. We try to protect, you know, we try to protect and preserve lands, but we're, we're go, we go a little bit further than that. We, we actually try to manage them actively and keep them in, you know, hope in, in hopefully in better shape than we, 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 you know, they were in when we encountered them. And in order to do that, I have to understand exactly how things came to be on those, on those properties. How did we arrive at the present state? Um, which would enable me to, to make, uh, you know, to, to understand what kinds of treatments we need to apply in order to bring about our desired future condition. And, uh, you know, I'll give you a little example of that. We're doing a, <clears throat> give you a preview of, uh, of our event on Sunday. We're doing a little uh, uh, winter tree ID out at Ferncliff Forest, but we're also going to talk about the natural history of the Hudson Valley in the process and how we can interpret the landscape in, at, uh, at Ferncliff to learn a little bit more about how things happened in Hudson Valley. And, you know, one of the things we, we have to do, one of the first things we want to do is try to date, you know, the, the age of the forest and, and try to determine what were the different activities that led to uh, its, its current condition. And just walking through, you know, I had some difficulty doing that at first, but walking through the forest the other day, I stumbled upon a, an old American chestnut stump. And, you know, I, you know, didn't know what it was at first, but it looked familiar. I cut it up, took a look inside. Sure enough, that's what it was. And, you know, my history tells me that, you know, the chestnut blight blew through the Hudson Valley sometime between 1910 and 1914. And so those trees were probably killed within about two to four years of that, uh, of the disease passing through. And given their size and the, and the number of, of uh, growth rings between the output, you know, the exterior, uh, you know, the diameter of the tree, I was able to figure out that these trees, you know, the, the farms were that, that these forests were growing on were actually abandoned in about 1860. Wow. Um... And that helped me piece together the natural history of the forest. I could then, I could then use you know, my knowledge of ecology to figure out what trees seeded in, what came after them, and how we actually arrived at where we are today. So knowing something about the history, you know, certainly the natural history of the valley, um, and when different events occurred helped me to, you know, to understand, you know, how our, our forests actually developed. Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of going into that, one of my first questions actually was about that uh, chestnut. So what kind of caused that, like, all the chestnut trees to die? I mean, I know there's, like, this infectious thing. Because, I don't know, I've always been interested because I'm, I'm a big fan of truffles. And when I was younger, I was like, uh -huh. oh, why can't we find truffles here? And I guess there's no chestnut trees anywhere, so. Well, that may be changing. Um, but, uh, yeah, back in uh, about 1904, 
is when you know most folks agree that chestnut blight, which was introduced from China, um, probably in you know in a Chinese chestnut wood that was probably in some packing material brought over on a boat. But they discovered it in 1904, actually at the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Um, although they, some people just say it's been around since at least 1893. But you know, since 1904, it 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 sort of it began to really just take over, and it, you know, it was able to spread the the, the fungal disease was able to spread at, actually. It was able to spread at about 50 miles a year. So, wow. I mean, it really moved. And, you know, it, it blew through the Hudson Valley. And I'm, by the Hudson Valley, I mean all the way up the Hudson, you know, past up, up to about Lake George and, and, and further. Um, in only about four years. Well, in about four years. Um, and, you know, it, it's basically just a disease that produces, you know, it's a, a fungus. Uh, but it produces a chemical, um, you know, called oxalic acid, which uh, actually, you know, it, it girdles the trees. Um, that is, it kills the cambium layer that is the living layer transporting, you know, which which helps to uh, produce the cells that transport the, you know, uh, nutrients to the leaves and, and water and things down to the, or water from the roots up to the leaves and nutrients from the leaves down to the roots. And, uh, so that chemical was the real problem. And uh, more recently, you know, up at the uh, College of Environmental Science and Forestry in Syracuse, um, both uh, two of the researchers up there, Bill Powell and Chuck Maynard, using recombinant DNA techniques were able to come up with it. They were able to take a gene, a single gene from wheat, deposit that in, you know, into the American chestnut. And after a number of years of breeding, uh, they were able to get to the point where it's about 300 times as resistant to the chestnut blight as Chinese chestnuts are, which co-evolved with it. Wow. So there's a very good chance that we might even be able to bring back American American chestnut. Sorry, I kind of drifted off. No, 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 no. So what kind of impact did that have like on the Hudson Valley and like at that time period, you said early 1900s, like what happened to the people here and what did that do? Well, it was the, the impact was immense. I mean, chestnut, you know, American chestnut was one of the most, you know, the most versatile woods uh, in the forest, not only in terms of its, its rock resistance and ability to, you know, and, its, and its utility in, in building, you know, but the chestnuts itself that it produced with massive volumes, mass for wildlife. Um, it, it was one of the major, you know, the major, species feeding passenger pigeons it was the major species feeding just about every species of wildlife and uh you know instantly within just a few short years it was all gone and so it had an immense impact on wildlife populations up and down the hudson valley now they which have already been you know significantly impacted by earlier history throughout the throughout the valley um you know, so that and and then it also had a tremendous impact on the resulting species composition of the forest and what took over, and was able to grow up and to, to try to replace American chestnut in these forests. Um, so it it had a you know again our, the composition the, the very species composition of our forests and the you know the wildlife populations that they sustain today are all you know are all due to that 
you know, that very incredible short period um, in which we lost almost an entire species. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of another question. Uh, so how much do you know about like the indigenous history of the Hudson Valley and like before European settlers? What was the Hudson Valley like then? Heck of a lot of American chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was probably it probably comprised somewhere between a third and a half of all of the trees in the forest. Um, prior to you know, prior to European settlement, um, you know, it was you know largely virgin forest. Um, it, it, you know what we what we experience, what you would have seen today is what you probably see in the Adirond- in certain uh, portions of the Adirondacks today, um, you know, trees that were, you know, two to 400 years old, um, you know, old growth stands with, uh, you know, a, a variety of different heights um, and different ages and cohorts of trees. And if you think about the Hudson Valley, remember what happened here, you know, after European settlement, um, you know, it, it essentially by, by, Sometime between, you know, about 1810 and about 1870, the entire state of New York was virtually, virtually cleared of trees. Um, it was almost all grass. A few areas in the, you know, in the Catskills and the Adirondacks and a few, you know, area, you know, swampy areas or rocky ridges was all that was left in terms of trees. We, we had such an immense need for the for the material whether it were you know the hudson valley to fire the you know the you know the 100 or 150 brick kilns that lined the hudson river mm-hmm. um you know to build you know to to use as firewood to heat colonial homes you know to use as you know building materials um you know we had the whole sheep fever episode um you know when as a result of the uh of napoleon you know napoleon invading spain in 1908 you know, they, they were, you know, one of our, our ambassadors to Portugal actually shipped out a whole bunch of Merino sheep, you know, that were under, you know, previously under embargo by Spain. They brought them back to the U.S., shipped them to lots of different friends, as any good politician would do, <laughs> one of which was Robert Livingston, one of which was Robert Livingston up in Claremont, um, you know, who, who, you know, who bred the sheep and uh, eventually, you know, it, you know, they Farming took up, you know, was was uh, was basically the first market oppor- you know, market farming opportunity up and down the Hudson River, um, you know, because of the you know because of the War of eighteen twelve, and the you know the embargo you know the embargo against you know British woolens. So if you could make your own wool, you know, here if you could make your own woolen clothing here, you had a market opportunity that never existed before. And so people just started clearing whatever was left, whatever hadn't been cleared to that point, they cleared and they put in sheep pasture. And uh, uh, I know I'm going. No, no, it's super interesting. In, a, in quite a direction here, but you know that that you know that conversion, that that very rapid conversion of essentially virgin primeval forest to essentially agricultural fields, you know, in the in the course of you know less than a hundred years more like 50 years, um, had a, you know, you, you virtually extirpated deer from the state, believe it or not, there, there virtually were none left. Um, and then when we, when we finally abandoned the farms, you know, the Erie Canal opened up, what, 1825 or so. 
mm-hmm. you know, by about 1850, late, you know, maybe 1870, everybody really, you know, realized that, you know, if you go out to the western New York, the Lake Plains, you know, you've got real soil. You know, what are we doing farming these rocks when we could be out, you know, and, you know, get to, you know, 10 foot deep soil out on a lake plain. So the Erie Canal enabled people to move out west, start, you know, farming. And, uh, you know, they started abandoning the farms here, which regrew the trees. And, you know, we created this new environment in which it's essentially a candy store for deer. It, it, it created the almost, you know, perfect environment for them. Um, and now the populations have, you know, have skyrocketed and they've become a, you know, a significant pest. <laughs> mm. um, you know, so we, we've, we've, you know, we've wrought a lot of change as a result of, you know, our, you know, our historic activity, the industrial revolution in the history of the Hudson Valley. We, we, you know, it's, it's incredible and trying to work with those, you know, trying to understand how that all happened. And how the you know the forests we have today came to be is what informs the way we treat them in order to try to sustain them long term. Of course, um, and kind of going into that as well. So, kind of what related to the Hudson Valley history destroyed all the natural predators of deer. Was it like just hunting? Because I mean, normally, of course, like the deer would be balanced out on the assuming, right? You almost didn't have to worry about hunting because we, you know, we, we virtually, we, we, we basically pushed the deer, you know, almost out of the entire state of New York uh, because there was no more habitat. Um, you know, it, it, you know the, the deer populations back then were much lower than they are today. Wow. Um, you know, and, and when we cleared all the forests, you know, and burned everything, opened up the fields and started plowing everything, um, you know, that pushed them further and further north, east and west. And there, you know, there virtually was no remaining habitat for them. And it wasn't until we started abandoning the farms, um, you know, that, that, you know, it, the populations were able to rebound. It wasn't even about extirp- extirpating the, the predators, although we did that too. <laughs> but we almost wouldn't have had to have done that anyway. You know, the, the deer would have disappeared anyway. Um, now it's a bit of the opposite situation. We we we've got you know in, you know we've got dramatically over overpopulate like, you know, overly populated deer uh, habitat, and uh, they're really wrecking havoc on you know on the forests and their their ability to regenerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of in general, I mean, I'm not. Uh, so you were talking about was timber like a big export in the past for the Hudson Valley, or is it kind of just used locally? Uh, in manufacturing and stuff like that? Actually, in the, you know, historically, you know, other than really the old mast pines that the, you know, the, you know, the British Navy were interested in, most of the material was, was used locally. Um, you know, we had, remember we, you know, one of the biggest industries in the Hudson Valley was, was bricks in the, you know, in the, the mid to, you know, late 19th century, and they used the charcoal to fire the kilns, and they used the coal in the brick itself. Um, you, you know, there was a, if you think about it, think, let me back up a little bit. Think about a completely denuded, uh, you know, Hudson Valley. You, you've basically got nothing but grass. 
most of the trees had been cut. They were used again in the you know, brick manufacture, would be used for building material, be used for firewood, be used for a lot of different things. What is it that what is it that's so characteristic of our, you know, of, of the forest today in the Hudson Valley or, or even the agricultural lands? It's, it's these old stone walls that we see, right? Mm-hmm. All of those stone walls. Well, nobody built stone walls on purpose if they could avoid it. That's a lot of work. <laughs> um, it would be so much easier to build these wooden split rattle fences. You know, the old zigzag fences. The yeah. reason they had to move to rock was there wasn't any more wood. It was all gone. They they, they actually had used everything. I mean, you get, and it, it, that's it, like mostly so... in local manufacture and, and just keeping warm and then manufacturing, you know, byproducts. And, uh, you know, and they, they, you know, it got to the point where they, you know, we had virtually used up all the wood. And, and it, it caused people to have to build, you know, their, you know, their, their agricultural fencing out of, out of rock that they would otherwise, you know, rather not have, you know, had to work with. I mean, that's just like so crazy to think about now, because if I look out my window, there's trees for miles and miles in every single direction. So it was just, right. it was purely out of like need that they had to build these stone walls. There was no like. All, like, it was gone. It was just yeah. gone. The wood was was already cut and used. Whether it was to open the fields to you know to to uh, to pasture sheep, you know, for the merino wool market, or whether it was to create charcoal for the brick market, or to heat your home with firewood, or just build your home with the material. Um, we we essentially used it all, and. Uh, you know, and we're really forced, you know, between, you know, in the early, you know, the early 19th century, we're talking about 1800 through about 1850, when all of these walls were built. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that really brief period. It's, I thought I saw somewhere, you know, estimated that there were about a quarter of a million miles of stone wall that were built in about, you know, a 40 to 50 year period. Wow. Um, it's, it's incredible. Um, and you know what's even more incredible is once the four, you know once once the Erie Canal opened, people realized that you know there was real soil further west, you know, and that you could you know you could you could farm and ship your goods you know back to the city you know through the through the canal, um, you know, and the farms were started to become abandoned. You know that the peak of that abandonment was right around eighteen seventy. And it probably lasted, the abandonment period probably lasted up through the 30s. So all of those forests that you're seeing, you know, out back, you know, all regrew, you know, since the, you know, the beginning of the 20th century, really the beginning of the 20th century. So it's it's just, you know, it's amazing the resilience that we see, even in these forests that have been beat up for hundreds of years. Yeah, that's really amazing because it's like, I guess, yeah, I guess most of the trees here are fairly young then, in, like, terms of tree. Yeah, that's exactly the problem. Well, that's not a problem, but what we did was we went through this primeval forest where everything was ranged in age from, you know, maybe several hundred years down to, you know, uh, you know to relatively young material. You know, we homogenized the whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. They cut everything down, and it all began to regrow at the same time. So now, instead of having these multi-cohort, you know, forests, you know, we, everything is uniformly the same age, or very close to being uniformly the same age. And so that, you know, that again has, imparts, you know, certain, you know, challenges to wildlife populations that require, you know, habitat of different age structure. Uh, a different composition that comes with age. Um, so yeah, we've, we've homogenized everything um, and we've, we've narrowed that, that age structure. Um, so one of the things we try to do when we acquire new properties is we try to restore that, that former diversity. Um, and it can be a challenge, but knowing some of the history and how things are, you know, yeah, how we arrived at where we are today helps us to, to devise the kinds of treatments we need to implement you know, in order to, you know, to, to rebuild that, that structure. So, yeah, just, um, I mean, we, we are at 20 minutes and I don't know, let's keep them around 20 minutes, but just kind of concluding. So you would say that, um, that's kind of the, one of the most profound ways that we've had an impact on the current Hudson Valley would be just like the massive clear cutting of all the forests and them all being used up. And then now that we just have like trees exclusively at one age. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's going to have an impact that lasts the next, you know, several hundred years. Wow. Um, but it's, you know, it, nowhere, nowhere else in, in the country have, 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 we, have we had that sort of an intensive impact on, on the landscape as we have here in the Hudson Valley. Um, it's just incredible. Wow. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Bob, for coming on. So everyone, that was Robert Davis, head of the Winnikey Trust, and they do a yep. lot of great work in Hudson Valley. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it, Leo. It's been fun. Yeah, no, I'm so glad I got to talk to you. And I learned so much. I mean, I, I, yeah, I just like it's such a good observation. Like, I look outside, and I'm now just realizing, like, that yeah, the trees are a really similar age. And they are, they are. You'll you know come 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 with us on Sunday, uh, this Sunday. Uh, you know, you'll never look at the forest the same way again. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you.